Judges chapter 2. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bacham and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was, when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place, Bachim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel each went to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gosh. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And the angel of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice. I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord, to walk in them as their fathers kept them, or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. Would you pray with me this morning as we begin our study in the Word? 
Father, you have said in your word that you are searching, you are looking. Your eyes, in fact, are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show yourself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to you. Father, this day as we open up your word, as we study together and we look in this book of Judges, this book that is in many ways a dark, bleak picture. Father, I pray that we would be able to hear your voice this morning. Your voice that provides hope. Your voice that provides encouragement. Your voice that points us and shines us in the direction of that light that only you can give. I pray you would open our eyes this morning, Lord, to see the urgency of this text. To be able to see that the generation we live in is of utmost importance, not only to us as individuals, but to those who come behind. May we lead and live as your Holy Spirit leads us. May we be found faithful to you and to your word all of our days. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm sure many of you have encountered individuals, individuals perhaps that you do not even know, who have come up to you and have started talking to you and have started sharing their life with you and after a time, you're, you're standing there wondering, why am I the recipient of all of this? You ever been there? You ever had somebody there? It could be at the store, it could be at the bank, it could, be, I mean, it could just be out and about somewhere. And this person just kind of hitches up alongside of you and begins the conversation and takes the conversation and keeps going with the conversation You know, it's the story that the individual tells of, of coming alongside and, and they're sharing the story with you and talking about, in this particular instance, this unfair situation at their work. They start talking about their workplace and what's going on at work and how they recently got dismissed at their workplace and how unfair it was and, and all of these different things and how they were, you know, this victim mindset. They got forced out of their job. Boss had it out for them. Company didn't like them. I want you to hold that for just a moment. Also, I was reminded in the same light. I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about this other thing. And it took me all the way back to my, my days in college. And in my days in college, it's a while ago. It's a long time ago. I'm getting old. And I remember in college, down the hall, I had some friends who oftentimes made their way down to my room and with their papers. And they wanted me to edit their papers. I was English writing. Uh, that was sort of my uh, line in college was to uh, do a, a lot of writing. And so a lot of these folks would come in and they would give me the papers, want me to edit them and want me to help them along the way. And as I would read some of the stories, you know, there were some interesting stories to say the least. And some of what I remember, I remember reading paragraphs and I remember getting paragraph A and then going from A to B and going, 
I don't quite know how we got there. You know, we, we missed something along the way. We missed character development. We missed a, a, an unveiling of the plot in this particular story that the one is writing. We missed some additional dialogue. We missed some information. How did we get from this paragraph to this conclusion? And I was thinking about both these things and, and both of the scenarios presented there's some important information that's missing. You see, because the stranger who comes alongside of you and he's telling you his, his sad story, he failed to mention to you that he was caught embezzling funds for over the past five years. He didn't tell us that part of the story. The writer failed to supply vital information for understanding the story. A writer... One of the jobs of a writer, the objectives of a good writer, is to allow your reader to walk with you through the story. So there's a, a, a progression through the story. In both these scenarios, there's something missing. There's a gap. To illustrate this, can I get five, just five, five young men? I'll even uh, get... Uh, I'll tell you what, Timothy, can I get Timothy and Evan? Um, how, about, how about one of the Prails? How about one of the Hallets? Yes. And come on up here, Jacob. You want to come up here too? Come on up here. Come on up here. No, this would be good. This would be excellent. Come on up here. Come on up here. This would be good. Just right here. Just right here. Mark, yeah, that's super, super, super. Right here, Mark. You stand on this end. Jacob, you stand on this end. Okay? Now, um, here's what I'd like you to do. We're going to contrast. I'm going to give you a picture, okay? We're going to contrast a formidable wall. We're going to just have these five minutes. This is going to be our formidable wall. So without moving you at all, I'm just going to have you five put together what you would say would be a formidable wall. If you were to make a wall just with your physical bodies, what would that look like? A formidable wall in this line. How how would you make a formidable wall? Can you do that for us? Can you show us that? Can you do that? What might that look like? You know what a wall looks like? Okay, well, so, so when we think about a wall, what I'm going to do is I'm going to contrast. In fact, I've got two older folks up here. So if you guys want to lead the way to make a formidable wall, go right ahead and do that. Excellent. 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 Super, super. Now... Great picture. Now, here's what I want you to do now. Think about a wall that's going to have gaps in it. What's that look like? Gaps. Gaps. You know what gaps are? Here. Here. You know what gaps are? Right here. No, this is good. This is a good teaching lesson. This is great. All right. Super. Super. Now, think about this as a wall, right? If somebody's going to try and get through this wall, it's probably going to be fairly easy for somebody to get through this wall. But that previous wall, it would take some work to get through that other wall. Pretty formidable wall. Thanks, guys. You can take a seat. I appreciate the picture. Now, as we think about a gap, one definition here, there are others. This is, this is one definition that would be helpful for our time. The gap in the wall, the gap is a place of weakness It's a place of vulnerability. It's a place of danger. Okay? 
It's a defenseless location of exposure and limitation. A point where real people face real threats. You know, how many times looking at military history have you seen examples of where there has just been one breach in the wall? Right? One gap. And the enemy comes in. A gap. A place of weakness, vulnerability, danger. Did you know that gaps exist in our nation, in our communities? in our households, you notice I'm funneling this in, in our individual lives. We don't like to talk about the last one or the one that's next to last. We, we really don't like to address and talk about the gaps in our own individual lives or the gaps in our household. Is there a recognition of the gaps around us? What are some of the gaps that exist where you live? In your home, what are the places of weakness, vulnerability, danger? Any evidence being shown that there are some gaps that exist in your household? I was reminded this week, Ezekiel chapter 22 uh, remember Ezekiel, exile prophet. <clears throat> and in Ezekiel chapter 22, in fact, it's, it's worth your time if you have your Bible. Go ahead and open to Ezekiel 22. Because the prelude to the verse that I really would like to focus upon speaks to the condition of the people in the day of Ezekiel. Okay, here, here is the condition. If you want an overview of what was happening, what were the lives of the people like, here it is. In verse 24, the Lord says, comes to Ezekiel, says, Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They've devoured people. They've taken treasure and precious things. They've made many widows. Her priests, so we got prophets, now her priests. Her priests have violated my law, profaned my holy things. They've not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they've hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Her princes, so we have prophets, we have priests, and we have princes. Princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies, saying, thus says the Lord, when the Lord hadn't even spoken. And then verse 29, the people of the land. So we have the prophets and the priests and the princes and now we have the people. Here's the character, characterization of the people. They used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So here's what God did. I sought for a man among them who would make a wall. And stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. I found no one. You have 
prophets, priests, princes, the people of the land, acting corruptly, profaning the name of the Lord. The Lord sought for a man, but he found no one. You know, I think about the Bible and the picture of the Bible, and I go back to Noah. You got Noah, and the Bible says that in his generation, he was the righteous one, he and his family. Praise God there was somebody. And we keep reading the Bible and the account of the scriptures, and we see Abraham, Father Abraham. We see Isaac, and we see Jacob, the patriarchs. We see Joseph. We see Moses. We see Joshua. And we see... There's some question marks after Joshua. And we can kind of pick it back up maybe later with, with folks like Samuel and David and Saul and David. We can just go down the line of some people. But there seems to be a gap. There seemed to be a gap between Joshua and the generation that came after Joshua. You know, Moses... Moses is seen in the scripture as one who had an aide, an assistant. Moses' aide and assistant was Joshua. And you remember the story. Moses sent 12 men out to spy the land. Remember that? That song, 12 went down to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good. Who were the two? Joshua and Caleb. And this question mark period after Joshua is what we know as the period of the judges. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, which is really the key verse in this text, it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. We read a few weeks ago about Asa, King Asa of Judah. And Asa, in many ways, was a gap leader. He stood in the gap for about 35 years. Praise God. 35 years. The last five or six years weren't so great. But the first 35 were pretty good. And he was standing in the gap for the Lord on behalf of the people. He sought the Lord for help. He was resting upon the Lord He called the people of his day to seek the Lord with all of their heart and with all of their soul. You know, I I think about that and reminded about how some of you here have stood in the gap during difficult times in your home. Perhaps it's been your marriage. Perhaps it's been issues pertaining to job. Perhaps it's been issues, trials related with Children, relationships with children. And the Lord used you to step into that place of weakness, that place of vulnerability, that place of danger in the moment. And as a result of your willingness to, to make a wall, to stand in that gap, the Lord has granted you favor. He's granted you blessing. He's helped you to see some things perhaps a little bit more clearly. I was thinking about 2 Chronicles, where we were a few weeks ago, and reminded of what Hanani, the prophet, said to Asa when he spoke of the eyes of the Lord running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong 
on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And I was thinking about that with Ezekiel 22, how the Lord, through Ezekiel, says, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the Lamb, but I found no one. You see, the Lord is seeking. The Lord is searching. His eyes are running. Do you see this picture? He's running throughout the whole earth, looking, desiring to show himself strong. looking for someone to make a wall and stand in the gap for him. Judges chapter 2 speaks of a spiritual gap in the life of God's people. Joshua and his generation were gathered to their fathers. Really, in, in a nutshell, that's one of the basic ideas here that's expressed in verses 7 through 10. Of chapter 2, Joshua and his generation, they died. They died. It's important we see that. They died. They were gathered to their fathers. And you know, so we think about death. And we see that death is, is pending for every single one of us. Unless, of course, the Lord should happen to return. And that would be wonderful. Would love that. One day... It will be evident that my generation, that Steve and his generation is gone. In fact, we see this even yet today. There are fewer and fewer, are there not, of what what we know as the World War II veterans. You know, they like to get together, don't they, with just the, the folks. And there's fewer and fewer of them. Maybe your parents have friends, and you, you, I know my mom lately has been talking about many funerals that she's been attending. Lots of her friends are starting to pass away. There'll be a day, if the Lord should allow us to live that long, when this generation that we know, that we've grown up with, these friends, these peers, it's also going to pass away. The older we get, the closer we are to the reality of death. The older we are, I pray that the clearer we get in regard to what it is to die in the Lord. Paul says what? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So so death for the believer in Jesus ought not be frightening, amen? Shouldn't be. Paul says... Where, O death, is your sting? You see, Jesus is the means by which we have victory. That hymn we sing, O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming love. See, death is going to reveal many things. One of which is the reality of faith in the next generation. It's going to reveal the reality of faith. Death is going to serve as the curtain that gets opened to the next scene in the grand theater of life. Think about it for just a moment. When death comes and that curtain opens, 
what's going to be seen from those coming behind. When they now take center stage, that next generation, it's going to be evident. You know, there are young people growing up today with this, I think the phrase that sometimes gets used is this second-hand faith. And it's a faith that is dependent largely upon uh, perhaps a, a parent, a dad or a mom, who is a godly figure in their life, and they are relying upon them. They are depending upon them. They are trusting in them. But the question comes, what happens when that godly parent, what happens when that godly peer, that one that you are depending upon, is no longer around? Do you have a first-hand faith? A first-hand faith whereby you know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so important that we know him. We see here in the text today, this next generation did not know him. It's tragic. They didn't know him. You see, a first-hand faith has this reliance upon the Lord, this walking and trusting in Christ, this genuine relationship. And so when we understand that death is coming, the call, I believe, is to prepare now to walk humbly with your God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice in Judges chapter 2, verse 7. It says that the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. So not only did Joshua and his generation, did they die, but before they died, guess what they did? They lived. <laughs> they lived. There are many people today who are taking up Breathing, they're breathing air. They're not living. They're just taking it out of them. But they're not living. You know, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 tells us of the one who makes us a living being. And God picked up the dirt, formed man, and he says he breathed life into his nostrils and the man became a what? A living being. Yeah. You see, it's a work that God does in us. And we see the beginnings of that in creation, but it continues all the way over. We can see the picture of it very nicely, very clearly in the New Testament with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is breathing life in and through us. This whole idea, it's the whole idea and concept of the new creation. The new creation is His life breathing through us. fantastic so they lived before Joshua and his generation died they lived had the people of God and just notice this the people of God they served the Lord the text is they served the Lord all the days of Joshua's generation life characterized this generation Hope, faith, 
reliance, dependency, trust. Joshua and the elders were leading with a view to appointing others to the Lord. They saw God's mighty hand at work and they aligned themselves under his leadership and then they led others in that same path. You know, the book of Joshua is oftentimes referred to on the timeline of, of, of history as the period of what? Conquest, right? The period of conquest. And a lot of us, especially a lot of the boys, we like this book because it's one of those manly books. It's one of those Joshua, oh yeah, Joshua, go get him. Right, he's leading the way. But there's so much more than just the fact that Joshua and company went in and they conquered lands. So much more. They did that. They possessed the promised land. They had these conquests in the northern, they called it the northern campaign and the southern campaign where the Lord handed over and delivered all of these enemy nations into the hands of Joshua and his people. And then we see in the book of of Joshua that there's quite a amount of time taken to uh, divide the land. Joshua is an administrator. He's not just a military guy. He's also an administrator and he's apportioning the lands to all 12 tribes. And they're going to settle in. And we see, we get to the end of Joshua, and there are two messages. There's a a final kind of farewell message, and then there's this renewal of the covenant message. And in the midst of that, we see this, but as for me and my house message, right? Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to do what? Serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. See, Joshua's generation was a beacon of light for the Lord. And I want you to notice that Joshua is not only the son of Nun. Look at verse 8 in Judges 2. It says, now Joshua was the son of Nun. Now, that's kind of an odd name, Nun. He's of the tribe of Ephraim, okay? Um, It's interesting to read through the Chronicles. One of the benefits of reading through Chronicles 1 through 9, if you get a chance to read Chronicles 1 through 9, you see all these families and lines. And you see Nun N-U-N, he's in there, he's Ephraim, okay, that's where Joshua's from. In fact, he gets buried, when he dies, he gets buried in his land of inheritance, which is in the mountains of Ephraim. Notice, he's the son of Nun, but he's a servant of the Lord. Don't miss that. See, upon his death... He is known by two relationships. Son of none, servant of the Lord. He's known by those two relationships. I want you to consider for just a moment. If life ended today, what relationships would be most evident in your life? Not ones you would just maybe voice, but which ones would be most evident? Son of, daughter of, those are sweet relationships here on earth. Is there a relationship with the Lord? Will it be said of you, servant of the Lord, as it was with Joshua? No, they lived, they died, they they also sacrificed this generation. If you think about Joshua and his generation, 
many sacrifices. And even the, the previous generations who were about walking with the Lord and obeying what the Lord had called them to do, knowing that they were not going to be the recipients of the promise. And yet they walked in obedience. If you read the account of the Exodus and you read the wanderings and you read the many trials along the way, you know that there are many people who sacrifice their time sacrificed their energies, sacrificed maybe what they wanted, sacrificed their own agendas, sacrificed all that they had to pursue what the Lord had called them to and what the Lord had promised them. There was a cost involved. There was a price to be paid. And church, listen, nothing has changed in that regard. There is always a price to be paid for holy living. Always. And yet the text says of the next generation that arose after them. They did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Church, I read this and this is just like a big punch in the gut. didn't know the Lord. The next generation. And we might be inclined to ask a couple different questions. Is this the parents' fault? Is this the younger generation's fault? I think we're wasting a lot of our time if we're trying to find a whose fault. Continuity of the faith, church, is so important. <laughs> you know, in the scriptures you see this whole idea of generational thinking, right? It, and it's probably best seen in what we heard last week in Deuteronomy 6, right? Love the Lord your God, parents. Love him with all your heart and impress these things upon your children. Talk about them, walk with them, speak to them of these things of the Lord. They did not know the Lord. They knew of him. I, I, I don't believe for a moment that they didn't know him. They didn't know his name. They didn't know anything about him. That's not what we're talking about. They didn't know him in terms of relationship. It's really the same idea in Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Remember the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And there's going to be, Jesus said, people that are going to say, Hey, Lord, Lord, didn't we say, Lord, Lord, and we did all these wonderful things in your name and we cast out demons in your name. And Jesus is going to say away from you, I never, what, knew you. Well, what's he mean? I never had a relationship with you. There was never anything there. Don't come crying out my name when you've not lived your life for me. I don't know you. Judges chapter 2 says this other generation arose after Joshua's that did not know the Lord. And when you think about that and, and just swirl that around in your mind for just a moment and you turn backwards to Joshua 23 and Joshua 24, it's even more puzzling. 
See, shortly before Joshua dies, shortly before Joshua dies, he delivers a couple main themes. He's got this final address, and then he's got this covenant renewal message. Let me just look at some of these things in chapter 23. He says, you have seen, verse 3, chapter 23, all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. I have divided to you by lot these nations. So the the portion of the land, he says, he's reminding them. The Lord your God, verse 5, will expel them before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, unless you go among these nations, these who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. Verse 11. Take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. And look, here's the warning. He puts it right here. Right before he dies. Verse 12. If you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, make marriages with them, go in by them and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. That's exactly what Ralph just read this morning. In chapter 2, the context. He's not going to. He's going to keep them around. They're going to be a snare. Because they didn't obey. Verse 14. This day I'm going all the way of the earth. In other words, that's a fancy way of saying I'm dying. Okay? I'm going to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Church, listen. There have been so many things the Lord God has done for you and for me. Not one of them has failed. Are you going to throw it all away in light of what he's done? Are you going to walk your own way? Joshua's calling the people and he's warning the people. He's, this is before he dies. Then chapter 24 is that covenant. He's just going through the history. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau... Moses and Aaron talks about the Exodus, verse 6 of chapter 24. They cried out, the Egyptians and how all that happened. I brought you to the other side. Verse 11, you went over the Jordan, you came to Jericho. The men of Jericho fought against you. All of these ites fought against you, right? Ites, ites. I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you. I've given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you didn't plant. Now, verse 14, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. In sincerity. Serve him in sincerity with genuineness. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And then that next verse is that, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
I want you to see how diligent Joshua was to see that the people got this message before he died. Will you look just for a moment? Look, look at this. Joshua says what he says in verse 15. Now we get response number one from the people. Verse 16. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight, preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. That's the voice of the people. Joshua says, you cannot serve the Lord. For he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. Response from the people number two, verse 21. No, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. Response from the people number three, the end of verse 22. We are witnesses. Joshua says, now therefore put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Response number four, the people said in verse 24, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. And Joshua does two things. He does two other things. He gives them a written reminder. He gives them a visual reminder. The written reminder is this witness, this covenant is written down in the book of the law. The second is a visual, that stone that's put by the oak tree. When Joshua leaves, he's leaving. He's already told him he's going by the wayside. He's dying. After he's gone, this stone heard the words that were just spoken by these people that they're going to serve. They're going to follow the voice of the Lord. And that stone is going to be a witness that in the days ahead, that this people is going to walk with the Lord. A written reminder, a visual reminder. Joshua gave both. Verse 27, chapter 24. This stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you lest you deny your God. You see, when there's no relationship in place, when there's this secondhand faith we spoke of earlier, and the one that you depended on has passed away, you're left with your own resources. And church, that is the message of Judges. Judges 17 verse 6 and Judges 21 verse 25 say the same thing. It says this, in those days, in the days of the judges, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his eyes. Now we know, the fact that we know our Bible history, there was no king on the scene until 1 Samuel. We see that, right? 1 Samuel. But the principles, this is so interesting in the scripture. The principles that are already set forth for these kings, it's found in Deuteronomy. So go backwards to Deuteronomy chapter 17 for just a moment. This is, this is so important. 
in chapter 17, verse 14, it says, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, remember where we're at now in Joshua, into Joshua, into Judges, and possess and dwell in it and say, when you come to the land and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. <laughs> He's already saying, here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, I want a king like all the nations around me. So he, he kind of says here, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord chooses. He should be one of your brethren among you, said his king. And then it gives a list of things that this king ought to be doing or not doing. I want to read verses 18, 19, and 20. These are some principles of these kings who were to reign. He says, also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. He's a write a copy. You know what this has gotten me to think about and do this past week? And I don't get a magic button for this, okay? And neither would you if you decided you wanted to do this. But I, I'm reading this and I'm going, wow, just to be able to write out a copy of the word and to have, to be able to pass it along to the next generation. It's going to take me a long time. Okay, I'll get started. If the Lord takes me in the middle of it, okay. I'm going to just write. I just, I just, how helpful, because as we write things, oftentimes we're remembering them as we write them. So this is a helpful exercise in more than just one way. But this king was to write a copy, to keep it. And it says in verse 19, it shall be with him. He shall read it all the days of his life. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God. And be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted above his brethren. That he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left. And that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. He and his children. In the midst of Israel. He and his children. How many kings do we know in the scripture who did not heed that? Those are pretty clear words. You know, there was a period of years, whether or not, praise God, Josiah came on the scene and the book of the law was found. <laughs> there were many years, this just sat on the shelf, went unheeded, was gone. It was not even in the midst. It's no wonder there were so many issues. Church, there's no wonder there's so many issues in our homes today, in our lives today, in this world that we live in today, because we do not take heed to the word of God. We don't open it. We don't read it. We give it lip service. We talk about it. We have lots of copies of it, but we don't know it. He's given to us everything we need for godliness and life, church. Samuel had sons who didn't walk in his ways. Remember that? In fact, he, he puts them as judges, knowing Samuel's old, he's, he's, he's about to leave. And the people don't like his sons because they don't walk in his ways. The people didn't want them ruling and judging over them. So really, you know, as I think about this, this is interesting. There was a gap that existed in Samuel's household. There's a gap, if you think about David's household, there's a few gaps there. There's a gap in Eli's household, amen? There's a lot of gaps there. He didn't do anything to restrain his sons. 
See, this is a critical point in history, talking about that time in Samuel's day with the kings all coming into into place. You see, it was at that point in time when the next generation needed to make a wall and they needed to stand in the gap. Joel and Abijah, that's the names of the sons of Samuel. Joel and Abijah, they didn't step up. They didn't walk with God. What are the results? What are the effects? Did it affect the household? Absolutely it did. But it affected much more than the household. It affected an entire nation. Church, that's big. See, I think oftentimes we don't think that big in terms of next generation. In terms of stepping up. In terms of making a wall. Standing in a gap. Continuity of the faith. So where does it lead? It leads to exactly what we read in the book of Judges. You know the cycle. You're familiar with the cycle. People sinned against the Lord God. The Lord delivers them then into the hands of surrounding enemy. After a time, the people cry out to God for help. The Lord hears. And out of his pity... He takes compassion upon them. He then sends a judge or a deliverer. And for a period of time, for the days of that particular judge, there is peace in the land. There's a similar thing that happens, though, in this cycle of the judges and what we just read about in Judges 2. You see, Joshua and his generation died, didn't they? And and when they died, it opened the curtain to see and reveal, was there real faith found in this next generation? The same is also true as we go through the cycle and we see that once the judge died, what happened? What did the people do? They went backwards again. They went back. And in fact, the Bible says that they they went further (laughs) in the wrong direction. What's missing in the cycle? Of the judges. A relationship. A relationship, a reliance upon the Lord. Listen, a reliance upon the Lord for living. Not just from the next trial that might come our path. You see, I think in our culture today, in the church and even outside the church, it's amazing how many people all of a sudden are interested in God when bad things start to happen. But in the church... Are we relying upon the Lord only when things get hard, only when things get difficult? Or are we relying upon the Lord in all of it? And it's, it's our desire to have relationship with the Lord for our living. So that tomorrow morning when you wake up and you get out of bed and you say, thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you, Lord, for rest. Thank you. And you're walking with the Lord and you're talking with the Lord and you're living with the Lord. Is that the way we live? See, that's missing. That's the missing component in the book of Judges. It's it's not there. There is no relationship. Everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. And isn't that characteristic of our world that we live in today? Pragmatism. If it works, it works. Let's do it. Relativism. Well, you know, that God thing, it works for you. Maybe it doesn't work for me. Well, it depends on whose standard we're saying. If this is our standard, we've got a standard. That we stand upon. It's God's standard of truth. This is the word of truth by which we've been brought forth. James chapter 1 says. 
This word. Do we believe this word? Are we going to live and walk in this word? That's the kind of living that's absent in judges. It's the kind of living that's absent in much of our culture that is around us. All the more reason, church, that we put away and do away with the gods around us. These gods that can be, as we see in the life of Solomon, a snare. Remember Solomon? Remember all the wives? All the wives came in. It was a great thing at the time. All the wives came in and they were setting up shop with all their gods. The problem was it turned and snared Solomon's heart. We need to maybe keep a copy of that book a little closer at hand. What do you think? Keep a copy. Walk by it. Consult it. Live by it. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Not only did they not know the Lord, but they did not know the work which he had done for Israel. They didn't know the work that he'd done. It's important we have, as we heard last week even, that we have gospel answers, right? We have gospel answers for when people ask us for the hope that lies within us. Why? Why are you doing that? Why do we spend time doing these things? It's important we have an understanding of here's what God's done. Here's what God is doing. And here's what God's going to do. Because this is what he said in his word. Are you fully convinced that what God has promised he's going to do? That's Romans 4.21. That's faith. Are you able to communicate and share that with those in your home? And those of you that know of the Lord, I want to challenge you this morning to not just know of him and to settle for knowing of him. I'm hoping and I'm praying that you will desire to live for him and align yourself under him. He leadeth me. Oh, blessed thought. It is a blessed thought that God, our great shepherd, is leading us. Those of us who are are in Christ, are you able to communicate effectively his story of what he's doing right now in the present? You see, a lot of people today are turned off by what they they call religion. They're turned off by Christianity. They're turned off by church. They're turned off by these people who say they're Christians. In large part because they don't see anything. Are we able to communicate effectively not just with words, but with our lives? Let us not, remember the the first John passage, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Are we able to communicate that effectively of what God is right now doing? How he's working in our lives? And then see, in the midst of our living today, here's the encouragement as we look forward, as we eagerly wait for a Savior, we are looking forward to that day. And we live now in light of the expectation of being with Jesus, of seeing Him as He is. And we live now in light of that time. Is it a dark day that we live in? Yeah, absolutely. Was it a dark day in the time of the judges? Absolutely. But church, I'm filled with hope as I read this. Because he 
has given to us his word, and this word encourages our soul. This gives us hope. It gives us light. And it helps us to see that in Jesus Christ, there is hope. Apart from Jesus Christ, John 15, apart from abiding, we can do nothing. And when we can do nothing, we tend to revert to doing what is right in our own eyes. May we not be like the people in the period of the judges who operated according to their own dictates, their own stubborn ways. But instead, let us walk. Let us stand and make the wall. Stand in the gap. Be one that the Lord can show himself strong in. Be one whose heart is loyal to him not just for the first part of your life, not just for a segment of your life, but from now to the end, whenever that end comes, let us persevere and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and make a difference for the Lord. Amen? Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good word. And I thank you for this message in Judges chapter 2. It's such a sobering message, Lord, but it's a wake-up call. A wake-up call that wherever we may find ourselves as a father, as a son in the household still, as a daughter in the household, we may be a grandparent, Lord. Whatever place you have us in right now. Father, I pray your word would speak to our hearts, would help us to see the importance, the significance of what we're doing with our lives right now. And that what we're doing with our lives right now in stewarding these lives you've given to us, they have the potential to impact and no doubt will impact in some way, shape, or form these next generations behind us. And I pray that we would be found faithful and that the ones behind us would be able to see a dad and a mom that love the Lord with all of their heart. They didn't just talk about it. They didn't just go and attend church building on a Sunday, but they lived it. Father, I pray that we would all be able to see that in our homes. I pray, Lord, that as we see this, that, Father, you would get all of the glory and that other people, I'm reminded in Matthew chapter 5, that as we live out what it is to be salt, we live out what it is to be light, that people would see us and they would say, wow, something's different about those people. They're, They're peculiar people. And in the midst of that, they would praise you. Father, may we look for opportunities to be witnesses to Jesus all of our days. It's in his name we pray. Amen.